0: It's time for JT the Brick.
1: Receiver from the
0: University of Colorado, number 21, Cliff Branch. We kick off the summer of Cliff Branch. Plunker drops back to pass, steps up, he looks, over the middle, he's got it, touchdown later, it's caught by Cliff Branch. The summer of Cliff, Cliff Branch, all summer long, JT the Brick. Prepare your phone call. I want clip content from you. Stay blitz play big back to pass. Gets a big rush. Otto cut the man's famous throwing deep for an anti got it the 20, but Tim cuts down really. But separated
2: clip was he was amazing meticulous
0: route runner. As we count down to Cliff, the summer of Cliff on the flagship. And now, here's JT the Brick. Welcome back, everybody. JT at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center here in Henderson on a rare day in the offseason inside the building here. Thanks everybody at the Raiders for inviting me over today as we are counting down to the summer of Cliff. We're actually in the summer of Cliff. We're counting down to Canton, Ohio which is going to be a nice trip for all of us. We'll be there from Wednesday till Sunday leading up into the induction into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I know a lot of Raider fans who are going, who are trying to make uh, their way to Canton, Ohio. So when we get there, it's going to be a big deal because the game is on August 4th. Uh, The Raiders play that Thursday against the Jacksonville Jaguars. So the team's going to be there, the Raiderettes, football fabulous females, and a number of alumni who have been invited to by Mark Davis to come on out, and there's an overwhelming response to that. Also, later in the month of August, a lot of um, alumni coming back for what is really a big event without the Raiders, with, with the Raiders over the years. Remember in Napa, their alumni weekend uh, that'll be here at the end of August, and a lot of guys are coming into town for that. So, I'm kind of blown away, and I shouldn't be, but I am blown away by Mark Davis's commitment to the alumni of the Raiders, and this August is the perfect storm because the players that are coming to Vegas for a preseason game and especially the players going to Canton, Ohio, on behalf of Cliff. And no other team that I recall or I know of have ever done anything like this. And think about that and let that sink in. No other owner in NFL history has invited back more alumni for an induction of one player. Now, the, big, the biggest crowd I ever saw was Jim Kelly, Seemed like everybody from Western New York came back for Jim Kelly. That was the largest crowd that I've ever seen for an induction. But Cliff Branch will be the guy that now sets the bar for most former teammates coming back. And if you look at this and all the players that got inducted, you know, Peyton Manning just got inducted last year with Charles Woodson. And their teammates came back, and Peyton Manning probably had 30 or 40 of his teammates there from Denver and Indy, but he didn't have over 100 or 140 of them, and the amount that the Raiders are going to have for Cliff Branch. So that is something to be really excited about. If you're a Raider fan, going to Canton, uh, book your tickets and hotels. Now you are running out of time. Uh, Vinnie Bonson, you're in a few moments. Uh, today, Tiger Woods spoke. We'll get to that sound a little bit later on. I thought his press conference was amazing. What bothers me about Tiger is the same thing that bothered me about Derek Jeter and Tom Brady. They never tell you anything. Normally, they just have press conferences, and they're vanilla, and they're right down the middle. That wasn't the case with Tiger today. Tiger denounced Live Golf, the Saudi-backed golf league. He talked about his life, how reflective he was on his son, Charlie, playing golf. I was watching that today. I was blown away by it. So more of that sound coming up. Also, Alabama head coach Nick Saban believes college football is heading down the path of mega conferences. During an appearance on the Always College Football podcast this week, Saban lamented the way realignment has stripped the tradition associated with playing in the same conference over a prolonged period of time. So we'll see what happens. USC and UCLA, which have been a part of the Pac-12 since it was called the Pac-8, announced that they'd be leaving to join the Big Ten. A year ago, the powers of the Big 12, Oklahoma and Texas, agreed to join the SEC. And in response, to Big 12 added BYU, UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston. So the mega conferences are here. Let's get back to the NFL. You hear Vinny Bonsignor all the time. We're happy to have him on the show, and now he's on in morning drive. Vinny, thanks for joining us. How's mornings been with your schedule here? I'm assuming you rise early every day.
2: Yep. Uh, mornings are great. Thanks for having me um, and just listening to that uh... Uh, to that recap of everything man the pac-12 it's just so amazing to me um you know uh, i was talking to rodney pete former usc quarterback last week um and we were talking about um you know just usc and ucla leaving and i think we both agreed that um we hate it but we understand it where the economics uh, of, of college football uh, is going it's it's almost inevitable that this is going to happen and schools like ucla which was literally on the verge of cutting ten sports um, out uh, of the equation because they had been falling so behind uh... financially and now being able to not have to do that stave that off because of the uh, influx of money that they're getting from the big ten I don't like it one bit, but I understand it. It's just the new way of the world.
0: Yeah, and Vinny, I lived that last week when I had you on the radio on another platform last week. When the news broke, I think USC fans and UCLA fans hated it initially for obvious reasons. Losing the Cal and the Stanford game and the Washington game and some traditional rivalries. But it took about 24 hours to 48 hours for them to turn on SportsCenter and to look and see all the columns that were written about it, pretty much saying that they had no choice if they wanted to compete at a much higher level and make a lot more money.
2: Yeah, without question, and in UCLA's case, literally stave off the elimination of sports that have churned out Olympic champions, Pac-12 champions, national champions, some of the greatest athletes on the face of the earth, literally, um, have played those sports that were on the verge of getting cut um, and, and to think that it had gotten that far and that dire uh, and that this was really their salvation, uh, joining the Big Ten, it, it, it explains, especially coming off the pandemic, and that played a huge role uh, in some of these programs, really f- falling behind financially uh, and needing something like this, almost a life preserver, in order to, um, you know, uh, maintain and, and stay status quo, uh, it, it really lets you know what the economics of, of college sports uh, has come to and is all about. And why there is this push, uh, you know, for these, for these mega conferences. I don't like it one bit. Uh, I, I'm a traditionalist. I wish we could go back, uh, to the Pac 10 and Pac 12 or, uh, Rose Bowls and Orange Bowls and Sugar Bowls, uh, with their, with their conference affiliations, uh, tied in Fiesta Bowls, um, and, 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 and enjoy a great weekend on New Year's weekend uh, of some great college football. Uh, but it's, it's never going to go back there. I don't believe.
0: Raider Insider Vinnie Bonson, your teammate here on Raider Nation Radio. I really enjoyed your conversation. As you discussed, looking back on Mark Davis's options when they were going to move to Carson or when you were comparing the 49ers stadium up in Santa Clara, if there was a chance that the Raiders could have co-op with them and how everything broke correctly for them to eventually get to Vegas. Because there were discussions about partnerships with other teams, and fortunately that didn't come through, and it could have came through. And now look what the Raiders have here in Vegas.
2: Yeah, and you know, sometimes you can't see uh, the final result from wherever you are presently standing. Uh, and if we go back to January uh, of 2016 at that ballroom in, in Houston, Texas, uh, and for the Raiders, you know, finishing third in a three team race to Los Angeles, it looked like dire straits uh, at that point. And there was no real understanding of what to do next. Um, and it looked bleak without question. Uh, But within about a month or two, uh, all of a sudden, Las Vegas emerges out of nowhere um, and becomes this, you know, uh, landing spot for the Raiders. And when you think about it now, looking back, um, that that vote that that uh, that basically put the Raiders uh, third in line to Los Angeles, uh, certainly not first in line, which would have been Carson, which is what they were uh, striving for with the Chargers. That that vote that that basically pushed them out of Los Angeles was the best thing that ever happened uh, to to this organization in so many different ways. Uh, because when you drive by Allegiant Stadium, unlike what would have happened at the stadium in Carson had they won that bid with the Chargers, or unlike SoFi Stadium had they been the first partner uh, for the Rams in LA, they would have made a killing in Los Angeles. Don't get me wrong. Um, the Raiders brand is so huge there. We all understand that. But in terms of having their own home and their own identity, uh, that would have never happened in Carson. That would have never happened in SoFi Stadium. But I tell you what, you drive uh, north on the 15 freeway or south on the 15 freeway, whichever direction you're going, and you see Allegiant Stadium off of Russell Road, there's no questioning whose stadium that is. You go to Henderson at that, uh, the, you know, the facility that they have there um, uh, where you are sitting uh, at this very moment, there's no, uh, uh, you know, uh, mistaking who's building that is. The Raiders got everything that they need here in Las Vegas. It was a long and winding road, and there were some dire straits moments along the way. Uh, but it all worked out, and that's some. That's kind of a metaphor for life. Sometimes you may not see it right away, um, but if you keep pecking away, sometimes the good thing ends up happening. Uh, if you just stay patient and stay diligent.
0: Vinny Bonsignor joins us. You know, Vinny, I thought it was important for Derek Carr to get invited to the American Century Championship. That is a huge—that's the biggest celebrity golf tournament. He looked like he belonged. He plays golf well. And to have his entire family up there with his brother and to have those memories going forward. You know, once you get invited inside that tournament—and I did my show up there for 10 years. You see Charles Barkley, Tim Brown, Marcus Allen, Joe Theismann, Tony Romo, who's won it for the third time. You get in that click. You're invited up there. They continue to invite you back. And I think that's going to be a great off-season move for Derek and his family because he's always worked up. He's always throwing. He's always working in the off-season to take that mental break and go enjoy his family up there in Tahoe.
2: No doubt about it. What a beautiful setting. Uh, I haven't, I've been to Tahoe one time in my life, and I, oh, I, I want to move there. I mean, that's how beautiful it was. Um, and I, I kicked myself that it took me so long to finally get there. But what a beautiful setting for that golf tournament. Uh, And you're right, uh, Derek Carr, he belongs in that tournament. He is a really good golfer. And I want to start pushing for him to play in that Las Vegas uh, little, uh, you know, foursome that they have Mm. these last couple of years with Tom Brady, uh, you know, and and Patrick Mahomes and and, uh, Josh Allen uh, for the Buffalo Bills and and Aaron Rodgers. I think Derek Carr needs to be in that. The hometown guy needs to be, um, or the local guy needs to be in that tournament because I think he would take care of all of those guys. That's how good a golfer he is. So hopefully maybe next year we could start a push for, for him to be involved in that, because he really it, is a good golfer.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Vinny, as we take a look at some of the things on the field, there's rookies will report pretty quickly here and the veterans, I've been saying, and I don't have any information, but i, I got to assume that Dave Ziegler is looking for another offensive lineman. And as you scour uh, throughout the year and take a look at players who are released or there's injuries, Do you think that's going to be a priority for this organization, that there could be a player cut from a team, a former pro bowler, a veteran, that the Raiders just know that they can put in as a starter if they thread the needle correctly and that player becomes available? Do you think that's a priority heading into building this Final 53?
2: Well, I think that if it becomes available, then um, uh, yes, it could become a, a priority. But I, I'm getting the sense right now, uh, JT, that um, they're okay with where they are with this roster. Mm-hmm. When I say the roster, uh, the 90 players that are going to gather in Henderson uh, next week uh, to get this thing um, kicked off and, and, and started. I think they feel like, at the very least, I think they feel like um, they want to see if they can build the best 53 from the 90 that they've put together right now. And they have a pretty good conviction uh, that they can. Now, if something uh, came along the lines uh, of the scenario that, that you just uh, laid out there where somebody that was really compelling somehow became available, whether it was uh, you know uh, getting boxed out in a numbers game in their current team or a surprise cut or something along those type of lines, um, yes, I think that they would uh, absolutely, you know, be all over it in terms of at least looking into it and and uh, and you know deciding whether or not that was the viable thing to do. But I also feel like, you know, you think about it, J T. We've got an all an entire off season uh, mini camp. OTAs, all of that. Uh, th- this leadership group with Josh uh, McDaniels and Dave Ziegler have a pretty good understanding of what's on their roster. They've had a, a few months now uh, to work with them, to assess them, to look at last year's film, to look at film from practice uh, throughout um, the offseason program. The fact that they really haven't done anything major outside of uh, dra- drafting uh, Dylan Parham uh, in the third round of the, of the draft you know, guard center for, from Memphis Uh, Thayer Munford, uh, the tackle in the seventh round from Ohio Mm -hmm. State. Aside from that, and maybe, you know, um, you know, bringing Alex Bars, uh, sort of a versatile lineman, veteran lineman from the Chicago Bears, they haven't done anything big along the offensive line. And I'm trying to figure out, what to read into that? Uh, do I read into it that they're pretty comfortable with what they have coming back, and they're and, and then they feel like they're going to be able to build a strong five-man starting unit, um, you know, and, and uh, an eight-man entire unit uh, or nine-man entire unit to go into the season? It sure feels like they that's what they're thinking, at least right now. Uh, but I think they're going to give it a fair shot in training camp uh, to you know either affirm what they're feeling or contradict it. Uh, and which, which could then make them decide, okay, you got to go outside the building to find something, um, you know, whether it's right tackle or, or guard or whatever the case might be. But for right now, it just seems like, they're going to give this an honest chance to prove that they, uh, that, that they, they could build a credible offensive lineman with the, with the guys that they have right now.
0: Yeah, wrapping it up with Vinny Bonsignora, it's just amazing to me as we waited to see Richie Incognito the last couple of years. I wish if we could go back in the hot tub time machine and get Richie Incognito, that type of player from two, three years ago, when he had this animal instinct in him, he still had something left, but he just couldn't get healthy to play. If you got a player like that this year, you know, because I'm looking at the available free agents left at NFL.com, and there's Dwayne Brown up there, and there's Riley Reep. There's a couple of names of players that are out there that could fit. J.C. Treader, the center, who's 31 years old, they're still available there. But I think, as you mentioned, I think it could be a surprise cut, a surprise cut, and I hope that the Raiders are ready to move. Hey, Vinny, finally, uh, what else are you excited about about the schedule? As you dive into this now in Morning Drive and you go on other shows and you go on national shows and we broke this schedule down, you see the Chargers and the Cardinals. I'm only looking at the two games. I'm not looking past week three because these two games are a gauntlet. They get a home game against the Chargers. Raider Nation will have the majority of fans there. And then they home open against Kyler Murray, and I think Arizona's come back a little bit. I don't think they improved in the offseason. Tell me what you're thinking about these first two games on the schedule
2: yeah, the first two, and really uh, the first five, uh, not to look too far ahead, uh, but those five games as they play prior to uh, getting to the break, uh, and Kansas City's on that, uh, Denver's on that, Tennessee is on that. Um, so it's gonna be a gauntlet to start the season. And you know, given the, maybe a little bit of learning curve, uh, you know, transitioning to Josh McDaniel's uh, system, uh, the strength of the schedule, uh, implementing some new players uh, into into the fold, you wonder um, if they're going to be hitting their stride full bore uh, that first month of the season. And if they aren't, um, you know, uh, and, and let's say they get out of that five-game stretch at three and two, um, I don't think it's time to freak out right there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, survive that five-game stretch that includes, like you said, the Chargers uh, in Los Angeles to open the season and the Cardinals, uh, at home, uh, the season opener, a, a week later. Um, get through that stretch, kind of regroup, see where you're at, uh, and, and then look forward and look ahead to playing your best football later on in the season. Um, you know, we've seen a, a, a few times with the Raiders over the years where they started pretty fast and then they faded down the stretch. Uh, I think that's what the Raiders want to try to avoid. Uh, not to say that they're not going to be playing to win those first five games, and who knows, maybe they go 4-1, and one, maybe they go 5 and. 5-0. Oh, um, that would be great, obviously. But I wouldn't freak out too much uh, if it's not exactly what everyone wants to see after five games. I think this is a team... That as the year goes on, um, the more that offensive line builds chemistry and cohesiveness, the more this offense starts to, uh, you know, they start digging into the playbook of Josh McDaniels, the more familiar those defensive players get in this new system with Patrick Graham. I think they're going to be a a team that gets better week by week uh, into the season, uh, regardless of what might happen in those first five weeks.
0: Thank you, Vinny. I enjoy hearing you in the morning. Thanks for doing this. Look forward to all of your appearances with us once uh, training camp and the preseason gets going. Have a great weekend. Thanks for doing this.
2: Thank you, JT. Appreciate it, as always.
0: You got it, Vinny Bonsignor. Great addition, and he's been here a while now to have Vinny here on the flagship of the Raiders and reporting. For the Las Vegas Review-Journal. Also, my guy, Harry Ruiz. Yes, my guy has now started at the Las Vegas Review-Journal. He's got his tweets out there today. And some good things are happening here. I'm looking back at this schedule, and I still can't believe that the Raiders are playing the Patriots on Friday, August 26th. So that's the final preseason game and before they play week one. Just to have the Patriots on the schedule this year, and to catch them in the preseason. The preseason schedule is super strange to me. You know, the extra game with Jacksonville, okay, Cliff's in the Hall of Fame. We're good with that. Uh, that game is coming up on the 4th. Then the Viking game is at home. So the Viking game is the 14th, which is really week one of the preseason. They count that week zero of the Hall of Fame game. Then the travel, which one of the things about travel here, being, being around this team over 20 years, is you want to work out your travel you got a brand-new coach. you got brand-new coaching staff. You want to go through the rhythm of traveling, getting on the new plane, uh, getting, to, getting on the buses, moving. You're simulating in the preseason of a game situation. Raiders got to go all the way to Miami on the 20th. That is a hell of a long road trip from Vegas to play at Hard Rock Stadium for a preseason game. But they'll have their travel mojo underneath them, and then they come home for the Patriots, and that is the last game on the 26th. So after the Patriot game on the 26th, when they make their cutdowns, they'll wait from the 26th, which will be the next day, Saturday the 27th, and then they play Sunday, 9-11. 9-11 on the anniversary of 9-11 at Los Angeles. And That is going to be a huge game. That's a late starting window, 125 Pacific game, week one. And then week two will be another 125 Pacific game. And then week three is a 10 a.m. Pacific game. So three of their first four games are in the 125 window, not the 105 window, which doesn't make that big of a deal. It's just that after the post game show goes on and, you know, it gets out, you get out a little bit later after that. But the rate of schedule, Vinny just talked about survival. That was interesting, surviving the first five. got to do that, come up with some type of rhyme with that. How are they able to survive those first five games? I, I kind of agree with him. You have to survive that to be in playoff contention. Because I think the Raiders with Josh McDaniels, and everybody realizes he's going to get better and better and better with play calling once he starts calling plays with this new team. So survive the first five games, which is a tough part of the schedule, get into the bye week, and then the Raiders come out of the bye week with Houston at home at New Orleans, a game I think they should win. At Jacksonville, it's going to be tougher, but the Raiders should win that game. They get the Colts at home, excited about that, and then they're at Denver on the 20th of November. The window for the Raiders to really make their name this year is going to be coming off the bye. Houston at New Orleans at Jacksonville Indy. That's going to tell us everything we need to know before the late gauntlet, late in the year, starting in December. And as I said on this broadcast, I think it's one of the toughest schedules in all of football in December. uh, The Raiders get the Chargers at home, the Rams on a short week, New England at home, at Pittsburgh, which is Christmas Eve, a cold-weather game. And then the first day of the new year on January 1st is the Niners at home. But you tell me you has a tougher December schedule then December 4th, Chargers, December 8th, four days later at the Rams, December 18th, Patriots at home, and then at Pittsburgh, and the Raiders should be Pittsburgh. I don't know who the – maybe Pickett's the quarterback by then because they benched Trubisky. We don't know. Uh, former – speaking of New Orleans, former New Orleans GM, and he was the GM of the year, executive of the year, Randy Mueller's going to join us here at the bottom of the hour. Looking to hear from you on Cliff Branch. Phil Villapiano started us off. Kenny King will join us tomorrow. And then also I continue to bring in Murderer's Row next week if you jump on in with me there. We're brought to you by Grimaldi's, best pizza I ever had. Four locations here in the Valley. Get the Brooklyn Bridge with the Caesar salad and you'll thank me for it. Go to Grimaldi's.com.
1: And Cliff just had world-class blinding speed. Four-two-five, forty. Four-two-five is just world-class forty-yard speed. And Cliff had the good hands. And I think Freddie had an awful lot to do with making Cliff the kind of receiver that Cliff uh, wound up being because they would stay after practice, and they would talk, and he would talk to Cliff about routes, about this, about coverage, and they would stay after him. I think Freddie had a lot to do with Cliff being the kind of receiver that he was. I think Cliff will tell you that, but totally different. One with great speed, both with great hands, one a possession guy, one a great deep threat, one wanted the ball before he even got his jock on.
0: How great is it to hear the snake, huh? Kenny Stabler, and I want to thank the Raiders and James Vega and Everybody was putting together a Raiders life. Wait till you hear what's coming with the history of the Raiders. Wait till you hear, and I'm not going to break it here on the show, but what's coming from the Raiders going forward with just an amazing look back at the history of the Silver and Black, and we were able to work with him on the summer eclipse to get some of these rejoins and the sounds and everything that we have here as we get ready for the summer eclipse branch we're waiting on randy mueller who will join us the former gm always a compelling conversation rob gronkowski said today he'll stay retired even if tom brady asked him back now i don't believe that i think gronkowski would play for the money because gronkowski's got a lot of money and he's going to go into the hall of fame and the quicker he gets retired the quicker he'll get to the five-year mark where he could get a gold jacket. And if he does play again, he's got to wait another year. And that's not a big deal to some, but if you can be a young Hall of Famer and go in with your gold jacket in your late 30s or your 40s, because you just start signing and you make more money with your Hall of Fame signature, Uh, Rob Gronkowski's not in that boat. He doesn't care. Whenever he gets his gold jacket, I wonder if Brady is going to ask him to return. Because Drew Rosenhaus predicted that Gronk would play again, Because Tom Brady would call him during the season and tell him that they need to win another Super Bowl together. Uh, Today, Gronkowski said that even if Brady asked him to return, he will not play again. Quote, he told this to Mike Reese of ESPN, I wouldn't go back to football, no. I'm done with football. I love the game. Love the game. And definitely blessed with all the opportunities that the game of football has given me. Nope, I am done with football. Gronkowski and Brady have been the best quarterback tight end pairing in the history of pro football. But Gronkowski sounds adamant that the pairing has played his last game together. I'm not a betting guy, but if I was, I think Gronk could come back. And he could come back week 8, 9, or 10 if there's an injury. And Brady really believes that that's the best chance they're going to have to win a championship. 702-365-9200. One more point with Snake. I had the high honor of emceeing his Hall of Fame party. And I don't tell the stories much about that, but that was under a tent at a hotel on a really cool night. And for those who were there, it was memorable because that there was a late party and there was some Leonard Skinner being played and some Southern Rock. And I'll never forget looking to my left, being on stage and seeing the Steelers walk in. And late in that night to see Franco Harris walk in and Mel Blunt walk in with their gold jackets. To pay tribute to the snake. It was just chills down my back as we got a chance to introduce those guys. I had the opportunity to emcee Tom Flores' Hall of Fame party last year. That was really special before we went to Charles's late, and Charles's party was great. It went late night, but Coach Flores, who sat in a wheelchair, got a chance to hear praise come down on him from Art Shell. Marcus Allen gave one of the best speeches I've ever heard at any event in my life and then all the other legends who were able to speak. And now Cliff Branch gets that opportunity, and that's why we're celebrating him all summer long. All right, Randy Mueller, kind enough to join us, the former 2000 NFL Executive of the Year. It stops in New Orleans, Seattle, San Diego, a highly respected uh, former executive, and now has a great podcast. Uh, Randy, first off, couple of big things. The Raiders... They went out and made a bold move hiring a new president, and that went down this week, and I know you were talking about it on your podcast. First off, do you think the Raiders got it right as she becomes the first female African-American president in NFL history? Well, I love the direction,
1: that's for sure. I don't know her personally, but I think in this day and time, I think it's a it's an outstanding choice. I think the, the, the message that it sends reverberates throughout football. I think the opportunity for a female to take over a franchise like this. Um, there's no, no better time. And again, I, I think it's, it's timing, uh, a fresh face, the voice of a franchise. I like the direction that Mark Davis has the Raiders going in.
0: Randy, as we go around the league, as we look at the calendar, and you've been here your whole career, executives are always working. You're still wondering if there's a couple of players you can get into camp as rookies are reporting upcoming and then the veterans are coming in. But the players and the coaches are almost told, get out of here. You're not going to have a vacation all year on the bye week, and that's not a real vacation. Take your families to the lake, the ocean, get that one more trip in. What was it like for you as an executive when your mind was spinning and you knew camp was going to start and you had to do one more trip or get away, or could you ever do that?
1: It's hard, JT. It really is. I think it's always been like that. I think sometimes when when we uh, connect players with downtime, uh, a lot of these guys are young kids still. It's, it's really a recipe for, for kind of bad things to happen at times. So I would yeah. always uh, cross my fingers and, and I would hope the phone didn't ring. It's happened to all of us a time or two where you just have downtime and, and the only news you get is bad news. But it's hard to get away. I'll, I'll say this, contracts really took the flavor of, of the month of July in, in, in way back years, not so much this year, uh, not so much since the new CBA came into effect. These rookie deals are much easier to do now I think we would sit on pins and needles waiting to get our rookies done till the last second. Those things seem to happen overnight now. So that part of the job has gotten easier. The rookie pool is pretty, you know, self-explanatory now. So there's not a lot of rookies that are out there trying to set precedent to recruit off a deal the following year that their agent might have. So I think that part's easier. But it's it's, you know, it's the calm before the storm. You do try to get away. It was easy for me because uh, people couldn't find me in northern idaho you know sometimes <laughs> cell service is sketchy and that worked to my benefit but it is hard to get away especially this time of year
0: Randy Mueller former NFL executive of the year GM with the Saints the Dolphins and executive with the Chargers and the Seahawks uh, muellerfootball.com Randy walk me through the Baker Mayfield move and how the numbers played out because he took a little bit of a pay cut Carolina's only paying 5 million the Browns are picking up 10 And he's still under 19 million total in a league where franchise quarterbacks, and he was drafted to be one, are going for 40 to 50 million dollars. And we saw what Deshaun Watson got with 230 million guarantee. Was it a game of chicken? Did you think the Seahawks and Houston would get into it? And why, after looking at the numbers, was it a good fit for Carolina?
1: Well, I think you're right. I think everybody had to pay their price on this one. I think, you know, Carolina initially wanted Cleveland to even pay more. They finally negotiated a deal that was fair. I think Baker even, like you said, took a little haircut of about three million that maybe he earns back in incentives. I think everybody had to give to to get in this situation. And Seattle was kind of sitting by the side monitoring, hoping that if he did get cut, they would negotiate up from zero instead of down from eighteen million, if that makes any sense. So I think these deals are all about money. They always are. You mentioned a couple of teams, you know, or things that are going on now within front offices. They're still looking for these kind of deals. They're still looking to find a player here or there. I remember last year at this time, and maybe it was the end of June, the Packers signed the linebacker Devonte uh, Campbell, who ended up was third in the NFL in tackles last year. They didn't sign him until late June, early July. So there's still Mm -hmm. some good players available. So the wheels are always turning. It is about deals, bargains right now. And, uh, you know, I think it's a buyer's market.
0: Randy Mueller is our guest. So what did it say about Seattle and your ties with the Seahawks on why Pete Carroll and why ownership didn't make this move? Why didn't they go there and say, we got Drew Locke and Geno Smith, but we think Baker Mayfield's a little bit better. Let's go do it now, and we'll test him out for a year. It'll cost us five, six million bucks. We'll know what we have going forward and maybe have the inside track of signing him if he plays well.
1: Well, that made the most sense to me as well. I thought they would be involved. They've been saying from day one, and I got to give them credit for sticking to their story, that they're okay with Drew Locke. They're okay with Geno Smith. That was That's a pretty big leap of faith for me. And the rumors have always been there that John Schneider liked uh, Drew Locke at Missouri when he came out, but that was also three years ago too. So they're they're all in right now. I think their vision... For, for getting their quarterback room right is a little longer term. In other words, they're willing to go into 2023 and draft one. I don't think Carolina was. I think the ownership in Carolina was pressing to, to make uh, to make a move right now. They don't have the patience per se, but we'll see how it works out in Seattle. I think Seattle is, you know, that's a, a fascinating team because, as you would probably know, Vegas has them listed as a five-and-a-half Uh, on the over and under that's not many wins i can't imagine the temperature of ownership there if they only win five or six games and that's what everybody thinks they're going to win so it'll be interesting to follow Carolina and seattle play each other this year uh early december it'll Mm. be fun to see where they are at that point to see who maybe pulled the right trigger
0: randy Mueller is our guest as we wrap it up i don't know if you saw the list according to league executives And you used to be one of them coaches, scouts, and players on this top 10 quarterback list that ESPN put out. And they didn't have Lamar Jackson in the top 10. And they had Joe Burrow at five and Justin Herbert at seven. I thought and Deshaun Watson was on the list and he hasn't played in well over 550 plus days. Are you surprised Lamar Jackson was not on that list with an MVP? And what do you think the ceiling is for him as he's waiting for a contract? Could the numbers start at $230 million, just like Deshaun Watson for Lamar Jackson?
1: Yeah, I was a little surprised to be honest with you. I think it's really all about style of play and what they're able to do in Baltimore with him. I don't know that that sells everywhere in the league and most, as you know, GMs front office people, they're looking for that drop back passer. They're looking for Joe Burrow, uh, Josh Allen, uh, those guys that can make all the throws from the pocket and Lamar has to do it a little different. I think maybe the the, just the style and, and the offense that they run, maybe the the longevity of his career because he does put his body at risk sometimes. Maybe that factored into why he wasn't a top-ten player, but I don't think there's any question Baltimore's going to pay him as a top-ten quarterback. It's just a matter of when, not if, and hopefully they get it done for everybody's sake because it seems like we've been talking about Lamar's deal almost as long as we talked about Dak Prescott before that got done. So I think they'll get it done. It seems to me like Lamar has a little more motivation to do it now before camp gets rolling. So I would hope that gets done soon.
0: And finally, as we take a look at some of the teams that could be rising and teams could be dropping, when you're in that situation and you're a GM for really good teams that had a stack winning season after winning season, or you came off a losing season and the pressure on the franchise to turn it around again, it's just a long off-season, Randy, and you can't pound away at the players every day. Hey, our goal is the Super Bowl. We're going, you, know, you can't do that with athletes today. They don't think of the Super Bowl. That could be their big goal in July and August, and then it's a long preseason. How do you sit in the seat that you sat in and be patient as you try to rebuild the team and get it back to the playoffs?
1: Well, it's a big part of the job, that's for sure. You've got to be able to, and I always say the general manager title is, legitimately that you have to manage your team and sometimes the team on paper makes sense sometimes in the media more than it makes sense for those of us who actually built the team i think you have to manage expectations good and bad and i never was against expectations because i i like that level of excitement i like that level of getting your players uh, to, to buy in for a reason they, they've got to know they have a chance to win but yes managing your team is unique and it's different for every team and the group you have, I would manage it differently based on the type of roster we built and the personalities within it. You have sometimes have to be really hands-on if you don't have a group of leaders, but it, then one with veteran leaders, you don't have to be quite as hands-on. So it kind of depends, but I love that part of the job, just able to communicate with all parties, whether it's coaches, your top players, your voices in your locker room. It's, it's a management job that happens all season long, and it's it's just starting now, I think, it's more than a team on paper. Like I said, it's it's kind of managing at the ups and downs. And uh, I think the level-headed teams that don't have a lot of highs and lows end up being successful at the end of the year.
0: I will sneak in one more with what Roger Goodell's got to deal with, with Daniel Snyder potentially testifying before Congress. Goodell was able to do that. The Deshaun Watson decision coming down, we don't know when it's going to come down. The John Gruden, you've known him over the years, emails, his lawsuit – Brian Flores down in Miami with Stephen Ross. Do you sense that the NFL realizes they need to get this done with? Or is this going to just slow down and take a really long time as the NFL waits a lot of these stories out and lets them play to accord with their timeline, not the timeline of trying to fit it in before the start of the season?
1: Well, I think some of it is going to be in in the legal courts. They're not going to be able to control Mm -hmm. it. Anything that the NFL can control, I think they would obviously want to get up behind him so the focus can be on football hey that's mm-hmm. why roger goodell makes the money he does right these are the tough battles that happen every day and i know this he's he's at the top of having answers before the questions come up always has been all my dealings with him over the years he's going to understand it way before you and i do so there's a good chance he might know where the deshaun watson deal is going to land and they're working on how to spin it and how to sell it so you know, these guys are professionals in what they do. Half of it's politics. Half of it's, you know, business sense and savvy. I think these things are what make us all tune in. But if the NFL could have their druthers, they would like to have the distractions reduced come uh, Labor Day weekend. That's for sure.
0: Absolutely. Labor Day weekend is a good day to put forward. Randy, always a pleasure talking to you. Have a good rest of the summer. We'll catch you soon. Thanks, JT. You too. Appreciate you, Randy Mueller, checking in the former executive. He had a lot to say, and clearly the Raiders making news in regards to a new president, and that is a topic— that we've been working on here for the last couple of days as we believe that we will have the interview uh, lined up with Sandra Douglas Morgan, the new president of the Raiders. That could be as early as tomorrow, Uh, specialty programming on Thursday and Friday throughout our lineup. But if we do get the new president on tomorrow and she's able to join us, we will put that out via Twitter on Raider Nation Radio and, of course, on my Twitter page at JTTheBrick. I hope we get a chance to do that because I'm looking forward to a conversation with the new president and seeing her direction and her vision going forward. Uh, There's news on Jamarcus Russell today. If you're a Raider fan and you haven't had a chance yet to go on Twitter or just social media, you'll see that Jamarcus Russell is trending because he spoke to Yahoo and also he was on a podcast. So the story is on Jamarcus Russell and he's taken a shot at the Raiders because he didn't think. He was dealt a, quote, bleeping hand, wasn't dealt the hand by the Raiders. So he is blaming the Raiders now. Now, in the position that I sit in here, it's once a Raider, always a Raider. If Jamarcus Russell ever wants to come on this show, he's a former Raider. And I would love to talk to him down the road about what happened and get his side of the story. Look, I've talked to Robert Gowrie, who is a gentleman. A great player. Did he live up to expectations? No. Number two pick overall, but he was a serviceable player in the league. Did not meet expectations, but turned out to be a valued Raider alumni. And I know the way the Raiders treat their alumni, including Jamarcus Russell. It's once a Raider, always a Raider. But he believes he was never truly given a chance to succeed on the Raiders, and that helped fuel his status as one of the worst draft picks of all time. He was on the Pivot podcast podcast with former NFL players Ryan Clark, Fred Taylor, and Channing Crowder this week. Quote, I wasn't doing crazy blank, Russell said. I was trying to chill, relax, and trying to win some football games. Unfortunately, I wasn't winning, but I was dealt a bleeping hand. I'm at practice, bro, and these folks couldn't catch a reverse, bro. Six plays straight, but you want to go downfield and catch a 90-yard pass? Quote, no, I didn't feel that the Raiders wanted me at all. Going into that building was like, quote, what's going to happen today? I was getting fined for crazy blank. They were trying to find ways to get the paper back, I thought. Then they said, I owed them money. Why would I owe them money? I signed a contract. And he goes on to talk about this. So we'll get some of the sound here. Russell mentioned his dislike for the Raiders' 2009 coaching staff especially head coach Tom Cable, who took over for Lane Kiffin midway through Russell's second season in Oakland. Russell's disdain for Cable is well-documented, and Russell didn't shy away from doubling down on the old football coach, as he said. He talked about how the Raiders brought in two quarterbacks with connections to the new staff, Bruce Gradkowski and Charlie Fry, who were waiting in the wings to start over. Russell, which they both eventually did that season. And he writes, he was already jiving me from the go. Jiving me from the go. That's how I feel, Russell said. I don't know what's going on in the building. I don't know who's messing with me and who's against me. That blank was lonely, bro. And then when asked about the infamous DVD story where the Raiders reportedly gave him a blank tape to see if he actually watched it, he didn't confirm or deny that story, but admitted he might not watch the film, but still says he was ready to play. Well, I can confirm the story on the DVD. I can because I was there. And that was a true story where he was given a DVD to go back home and watch, and he never did it because it was a blank, and they knew he didn't watch it. That is a true story. When we come back, we'll wrap it up, and we'll talk about what we have lined up for tomorrow on our Summer of Cliff as it continues on. More Cliff Branch guests. Kenny King will join us tomorrow. Looking forward to him. Boomer Sooner on what he has to say about his friend Cliff Branch. He'll be back in Canton, Ohio for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. JT, as we continue inside this gorgeous facility, the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center.
1: It's very special. I mean, I played in an era that uh, there was no free agency. So you you had the same team year in and year out for, for many, many years, my whole career, because there was no free agency in the 70s and the 80s and stuff like that. I, I can't remember, Jerry, when officially free, free agents came about. But we also look at the deals that Al Davis were making in those days. He could get cast off players that, that had issues with other organizations, personal issues with Al Davis. He wanted you to come in, play a role, and be a part of the team and contribute in, in any kind of way.
0: Cliff Ranch, Summer of Cliff. As we continue inside the Raider facility, Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. This studio is sick. It's incredible what we have here and again as we're still a brand new flagship we're coming into our third year here and there's new additions to the lineup and there'll be more announcements down the road to have this facility and the option to come out here to Henderson and host the show here is amazing from the video cameras that we're going to be able to podcast through and do some unique projects really I'm blessed to work in an atmosphere like this the Raiders went first class when they built this facility, and what they did on the TV, radio, podcast side is really special. And that's another thing about Mark Davis. He wanted to make sure that we'd have the best situation to work in, and we do. And these players are coming back to this incredible facility. Chandler Jones has talked about it, Devonte Adams. I mean, how excited is Devonte to come and play golf with Derek Carr here, lived pretty close here to Henderson, I'm assuming, coming into this brand new facility best food, chefs, uh, masseuses, everything you need here, trainers, everybody behind the scenes who works so hard here, it's a 10 out of 10. That's got to be the future of this organization. How do you get guys like Chandler Jones and Devontae Adams to go back and tell everybody around the league, you know, I thought I had it pretty good at Lambeau and I had it good in Arizona, but this blows it away. And once that gets out, more and more players will want to play here. When we talk about no state taxes, real estate going a little bit farther, the entertainment value. You're close to L.A. You're a 45-minute flight to Orange County, San Diego on an off day to see family on the West Coast. All this matters in building a football team, but then when you get signed to this team, you got to play your ass off on Sunday. you got to play your best football, and that's going to start here in a little under two weeks. As next week, we're talking about rookies and then veterans coming in. It's going to be fun to watch this team get put together in the vision of Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler. Thanks to our guests, Phil Villapiano, Jeff Sherman, Vinny Bonsignor, and Randy Mueller. Great job, Bobby, booking this show today, especially getting Phil at the last minute. A big show tomorrow. We'll tell you about it as we put it together. This is what we do after the show, figure out what we're doing tomorrow. Thanks to all of our proud partners. We appreciate all the support here, and thanks to the Raiders for having me in the building today. Have a great day. Cue on deck. We'll be right back.
2: back.